You are listening to the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. Now, here is your host. Hello, friends. Welcome to Accidental Hope, a place where we seek hope and build community from a serious accident or trauma from a faith perspective. My name is Jennifer, and I'm not an expert or professional, but just a mom and wife who wants to share life experiences and hopes it helps someone else. Today on the show, we are talking with Lavinia Masters. She is a wife just celebrating 30 years with her husband, Ricky, mom, grandmother, advocate, author, speaker, and someone who pursues life-transforming healing with other people. She's an amazing, amazing person. I can't wait to share her story with you. Please grab your notebook and pen, jot down all the information, all the wisdom and courage this woman shares. I do want to tell you it comes with a trigger warning. Lavinia is a sexual assault survivor. She shares her story with us in a transparent way. She's a beautiful person inside and out. Please welcome her and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Lavinia, and thank you. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Accidental Hope listeners, I am excited to be with you guys this evening. Thank you. Humble, humble, humble. You know, we've been friends almost two years. Yes, it is. Amazing. It goes so fast. I, I met Lavinia at a small gathering. It was a Women at the Well conference that our mutual friend held. No big expectations. I was just knowing that the Lord was going to, you know, show up, which he did. And I tell you, Lavinia, her story was so powerful. And just how she blessed me beyond anything I can even explain. And that wasn't that message so perfect. Like, yeah, yes, it was. We all have our story of coming to the well as women. I feel like we all have that story, something in our lives where we, we felt like Jesus met us at an appointed time and loved us and met us where we are. And that's what we talked about hearing everybody's story that day. You were saying the the women at the well, we were, uh, we had actually were, had met in Waco, and Waco is actually my hometown where I was born and bred, Texas, and so it was kind of exciting to go back to my hometown and share that testimony that day on that particular day and to meet you women. It was kind of exciting to do that and be a part of that on that day and share my testimony of how God had delivered me and allowed me to overcome such a such traumatic experience in my life but yes it was a, it was a beautiful day and I remember like it was yesterday I still can't believe it's been two years it was just just to be back at home uh, where I was uh, my birthplace and being able to share and embrace such beautiful women with beautiful stories and to see the hand of God move in that place was, was awesome. Lavinia tell us a little bit about your traumatic event my transformation from pain to purpose uh, happened when I was 13 years old and we were living in the West Dallas area. And I was, my, my family and I, we had just moved back from Houston because we had lived in Houston. We had moved to Houston and we had moved back to the Dallas area and we were living with other, other relatives and the kids were sleeping downstairs. And since I was the oldest at 13 years old, I had the privilege of sleeping on the couch. And while I was sleeping on the couch, my two youngest siblings were sleeping on the floor along with two other uh, younger cousins. 
And while we were sleeping in the middle of the night, I will never forget uh, David Letterman and uh, his show came on late at night. And after his show ended, we called it the fuzz. When TV went off back in the day, uh, uh, it would be like this white snow would come on TV. And that's how you know it was really time for me to go to bed because TV would, there would be nothing else that would be on TV after the, the white snow would come on. This happened. Someone had entered the downstairs window uh, because we were downstairs. And as I was, I had dozed off into a sleep. They had entered the window and had, I, I was awakened with a knife to my throat and someone separating my legs and uh, removing my underwear. And as I opened, tried to open my eyes, they told me to shut up and be still, be quiet. I was trying to adjust my eyes to the dim light because it's, you know, it's very dark. The only thing was still on was the TV. So I was trying to adjust my eyes to this dim light. And it was, I saw this man on top of me. I didn't know who he was or where he came from and why he was, why he was there or what he was doing to me. And, and really, I didn't even understand that there was a knife to my throat. I just felt this sharp object pressing down in my throat. And so I'm trying to squirm and, and wiggle and get away from him. And I'm trying to ask him, who are you and what are you doing? And so he pressed harder and, and he's, you know, more aggressive with me and he's telling me to shut up and be quiet. Once I realized what he was doing, because now he's, uh, you know, completely ripped my underwear from me and he's starting to press against me and I'm starting to cry. And so I'm like trying to negotiate with a stranger uh, you know, why is he doing this to me? Where did he come from? And, you know, telling him to stop trying to plead with him not to hurt me and leave me alone. And so he's telling, he said, telling me to shut up, be quiet, or he's going to kill one of the children on the floor. Uh, at this moment in time, my heart just, just pretty much sank uh, because I didn't, I was totally confused. I just did not understand what was going on. I'm a 13 year old child. I'm innocent. I have no idea who he is, where he came from, why he chose me. Uh, I didn't realize that he had came in through the front window. I, I just I just didn't know. I was clueless. Um, and so I'm steady begging him to stop what he's doing. But uh, to no avail, he proceeded to uh, rape me. Uh, you tell me to shut up. I had a mouth on me. I, I, I didn't want to shut up. I wanted, I wanted answers, and that was me. I wanted to know why you were doing this to me. So I kind of find myself engaged in a conversation with a stranger that was raping me. In a lot of pain, I was frustrated. I was angry. I still wanted answers. Why are you doing this to me? I'm innocent. I, I don't know you. You know, this hurts. You know, why are you here? But that it didn't matter to him. Uh, so he proceeded to rape me, and I told him that my dad coming down stairs at any moment to, with a big gun and that he would shoot him and you know he saw him you're so brave so brave yeah. mm. and it was it, it was it was weird because I, I, my stepdad was not that type of stepdad he was old and he was a lot older than my mom I don't even think he knew how to operate a gun and so I, I was just talking to him and at this point I didn't know what to do I just didn't know what to do and I still tried to negotiate and stop this man from doing what he was doing to me and I cried and and so I thought about my grandmother uh, because my grandmother she helped raise me until she died at uh at when I was nine and I thought about we were raised in church and we were raised as little children we were raised and taught about Jesus and she raised us you know she raised us early you know teaching us about the Lord and 
we had scriptures we had to learn and we had taught us vacation Bible school and we went to uh, Sunday school and we had uh, the, all of those services that you said they don't do anymore. We had all, all those services. We had to go out to sun, you know, on Sunday services, night services. We, we all were engaged and stuff like that. And, uh, and so we had to know our verses and different things, Sunday mornings or every morning, five o'clock in the morning, she had us up praying and, and different things. And so we were just engaged in the Bible and we knew about Christ. And so my grandmother at 13, I felt that I was accountable myself because she taught us how Jesus was held accountable. He felt because he said he had to be about his father's business when he left. You know, all this I'm thinking in my mind. And it just even as I'm being assaulted, I'm thinking of all this because I'm thinking mm. of my grandmother. And it was just amazing how I was laying here all, all this time thinking about this. And so as I'm thinking about her, I thought about what she told me. And she said, if you ever get in any kind of trouble, you call in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I took that literally. And I said, Jesus, while he's raping me. And it was so strange. You know, it's like he paused. And he said, who are you talking to? And so I saw that I irritated him. So I said, Jesus again. And he told me to shut up. And he pressed the knife down deep in my throat. And so I went into a whale, but then I thought to myself, this is a chance I'm going to take, you know, I'm, this, is a, this is a chance I'm going to take because I saw something happen mm -hmm. when I did call in the name of Jesus. And so I, I thought to myself, I said, well, if I die, you know, I'll be with my grandmother and I love my grandmother dearly, you know, and I mean, this is just, I'm, it's a chance I'm going to take. And so I said it again. I said, I said, I, I thought to myself, you know, Lord, if this is it, I'm going to be with my grandmother and, I, and you saved me. And I said, Jesus again, you know, and he roughed me up. And he said, I told you to shut up, you know, uh, calling on that name. And he put me face down. That's what he told me to turn face down. He jacked up and he put me face down into the couch. And I began to just cry. And I didn't know what was going to happen next, you know. And I laid there on the couch and I'm naked and I'm bleeding and, and, and I'm scared. And I don't know what, and I don't know what's happening, you know, around me. And uh, I tried to turn my head to the side to see if my, my siblings were okay, if he was going to do anything to them, if I heard any screaming, you know, because they didn't move. I didn't hear anything from them. Uh, and so I'm laying there, you know, and I'm just, I'm like a whimper now and, uh, I hear nothing. And then so I hear some, I hear moving in the kitchen because he goes to the kitchen. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I hear the back door slam, you know, because he came to the front and he went out the back. And as I lay there, the calmness that I felt before I went to sleep, I felt that calmness all of a sudden again. And I laid there a few moments more. And as I felt that, and as that calmness felt, I felt that I ran upstairs. To my, I got up and ran upstairs. I looked over my siblings, ran upstairs, and I screamed bloody murder. As I was running and I told mom and I screamed to my mom and I was like, Mama, mama screaming. I said, Mama, mama, somebody just broke in the house. That and, and they raped me. They raped me. Somebody raped me. My mom came halfway down and met me down the steps and she screamed and she was screaming and she just embraced me. Basically, we called the police from there. Uh the police department came out. They looked for fingerprints. I took a pair to get there. It's Matt Parkland. Hospital, I call it my second victimization because they ask me questions like, did I know him? Was it my boyfriend? Did I let him in? You know, Parkland Hospital treated me like I was a criminal. And uh, from there, 
my kit sat on the shelf. I didn't know my kit was sitting on the shelf. I did the exam. And it was basically almost, I thought, downhill from there. Uh, because I had no answers for years, nothing. I had no idea what happened, uh, what was going on. Uh, it was just nothing, absolutely silence. Mm. And so here is where victimization really took its toll on me because here I am a child at 13, uh, having brutally raped, no answers, no kind of counseling, no kind of support. No kind of dialogue, no kind of answers, no kind of anything. And I tried to cope and deal with it the best way that I could as a child. Mm -hmm. And that was not very well because I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And my family, unfortunately, did not give me the support I needed. And now that I'm older and now that I'm wiser and now that I have a better understanding of my family, they couldn't have given me the support that I needed because they didn't know how. Mm -mm. Uh, and I learned because they were had been victimized themselves. They were past uh, victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, and they had no help. Mm -hmm. uh, they had no healing. They had no support system themselves. They had no counseling, no anything. And so it was just a vicious cycle of trauma, a ball of trauma that had just been just been swirled up and, and just growing and growing and it was it was very devastating and so it was not until uh, I had gotten married I had started a family and uh, basically everything almost exploded in my face and I had to come to a point in my life where I said enough with the madness mm -hmm. enough with the the, the darkness Mm -hmm. enough to be um, about to lose my mind, uh, contemplating suicide, depression, about to lose my family, uh, enough with my son, not knowing if his mama is coming or going, just enough, enough. Uh, I know who my savior is. Mm -hmm. I know what I was taught. I know, I know all of these things. And so now I have to get to a point where I have to trust him, even with something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's exactly what I did. I said, Lord, look, if I can trust you with my physical healing, I'm going to have to trust you with my emotional, mental, psychological healing as well. Mm -hmm. If you can touch the blind and make them see, if you can touch the lame and make them walk, if you can touch the deaf and make them hear, I'm pretty sure you can touch my mental, my psychological, and you can make me think and feel and, and understand and, and give me joy. You can make it all whole again. Mm -hmm. And when I gave it to him and, and allowed him to take me through the processes of my healing, he did just that. It was a long and tedious journey. Amen. It was a journey, but he did it. And... Amen. And I, I love him for every moment of it because I I know I had to go through it. I know I had to go through it for just a point in time as this. Mm -hmm. uh, the moments that I'm in now where I am helping others get through the processes that they are going through because healing is a, healing is a, a I can't even explain when it comes to the wholeness of healing. But it is a 
when you think of healing, it's it's not a it's not a quick fix. It's no. not a it's, it's a process. A, it is a process, and and you have to be you have to be willing to go through this process, mm-hmm. and you have to be patient to go through the process, and you have to be you have to be prepared to go through the process. It's painful. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Mm-hmm. It's trying. It's no, going to be a little not. different for everybody. It, yeah, it is. And then life still happens while you're healing from one thing. Life still happens. You know, you, there's going to be death. There are going to be other losses. There are going to be other things happen to you. And you have to be ready for that. And and it's going to weigh heavy on you. And you have to be mindful of that. But you've got to be, you got to stay focused on what you of your healing because while you're healing from this you got you you got to prepare yourself to begin to heal from something else and not intertwine the two and right. that's what you have to be mindful of and, and that's why it, you have i tried to explain to texas a&m uh, when they asked me about my healing and i said i i had to understand when my mother died in 2014 some people thought i got it confused with my I went back to my victimization and I said, never that. I know God has made me whole from being a victim of sexual trauma. I said, I was hurting from the death of my mother. I was mourning, but I didn't realize that I was depressed from that because I was so angry, you know, and I said, it didn't trigger anything from the sexual trauma. I said, I just, I said, I didn't, the thing about it was, I didn't want to admit that I was depressed Mm. from that. I said, because I know, I'm strong. I'm strong in certain areas, but I just, I, but I just did not want to admit that I was weak in that area of being, of going back to depression. But it happens. Mm-hmm. You can be depressed. You will fall. You can fall short of in certain areas of your life again. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that I'm that I'm still a victim of sexual trauma. I'm no way a victim of sexual trauma. I was a victim of depression it's because I lost my mom. You know, and so I was angry, yeah. very angry. Oh, yeah. And it took me through, it took me through another level. But even in that, God had to show me and teach me things, you know, through those processes. And it, it helped me in areas of even dealing with people of domestic violence and the hurt and the pain and how deep rooted that pain is in the psyche of those individuals. And you, and sometimes you don't understand how and I thought I really understood how it can be for them you know and I and I tell people don't tell them just walk away I never tell them that but it really it can be really deep for them and the pain they endure the insecurities they have when they're with people and they don't even see how entangled they are with their perpetrators or with their Mm -hmm. abusers when Mm -hmm. they are victims of domestic violence and a lot of it stems from them not being healed from sexual violence or sexual trauma. And, and, and God was showing me all of that and how that intertwined. Mm-hmm. And so I had to understand. It's, it's like how he shows you things to even help you more in your ministry and understand so you can understand people and, and help them even on deeper levels. So I thank him for even that because he, he still uses even my pain transform even more things in my life and help me with other things even no matter how painful it is he still helps me because 
he showed, I asked him and I asked him, I'm, I said, Lord, I know none of this is about me, but even in the worst things, show me how to help somebody else. If I have oh, yeah. to go through something, show me how to help somebody else so I can show them what maybe they won't have to experience it or it won't be so bad for them in the process. Maybe I can help you save your mother or your sister or your niece or your nephew where they won't have to go through that the things that I had to experience. And I'm hoping mm-hmm. that my purpose, my pain, the things that I went through can help you in your purpose. You know, my to be part of my purpose to help you. And that's what I prayed for. That's what Jesus did. His pain is, and his purpose was for us. So we won't have to endure. We can have a, the life and the gift of eternal life, you know, and people miss all of that. You know, they miss the whole purpose of him dying on the cross and and getting nailed to the cross and, and, and believing in all of that for us. You miss all of that. You know, the love he had and the compassion he had to endure that. You know, and I'm like, and we just, the little suffering that we go through and we complain about any, everything. You know, Paul said, Paul said, just to know him, he said, it's like, it's, it's, it's enduring the suffering. He said, it's like dung. It's like waste. Can we even say that? Are we willing to endure anything? Just a little bit. No, nobody wants to suffer, but we're going to suffer. We're going to go through trials. Right. You know, we're going to go through tribulations. We're not promised anything. But if we look at it in a different aspect, you know, a different mindset, you know, what what can I do to make things better for somebody else, for my generations to come, for my children and grandchildren and my loved ones and my friends? Try to make it easier for you, your mindset as you move forward in this life so you won't transform my pain into purpose and that was my story that was my story and I'm thankful for it and I and I'm grateful that God chose me and I had no idea on that night laying on that couch that that I made a covenant that night mm-hmm. with God you know I, I know they said Jesus was about his father's business at 12 13 years old and I, and I guess I was about his business too because I I came into a agreement. If you save me, I'll serve right. you for the rest of your life. And I, I meant it. You know, I didn't know how sincere I was, but the older I got, I, I really meant that because I know that God has been good to me. And I know he saved me that night. And I know he spared me. And I, and even as I look back now, even, even now, things, Jennifer, if I can tell you how things happen to me now. The more work I do for victims, the more I advocate. If I tell you, the, it's like the more attacks I come under, the more near-death experience I endure. I'm like, sometimes Amen, I go, sister. Are you, I'm like, are you kidding me? We live me? the that same life, girl. Yeah. We come under. Like, Did that just happen? My, I'm serious. I, I had just left, uh, and I'm not trying to get off, the, the, off my time, but I had just left two weeks ago. I was coming from... We were setting up some stuff for my for the organization for the ministry because we're trying. I'm trying to do things big, not for Tell me. Tell us the name of your ministry real quick. I don't think I mentioned it's, it. It's Hope Saves Ministry, and Hope Hope is uh uh is partly it's a twist on that because Hope is my mother's middle name, mm-hmm. and of course I want to give victims hope after being victimized of sexual assault, domestic violence, and she was both of those a survivor of, of both sexual assault, domestic violence. It saves stands for sexual assault victims empowered to speak. 
And so, uh, and, and that's what I want to do, empower you to speak after your trauma. And so we were getting ready and we were setting, we're setting all of this stuff up because God has given me great visions to set these things up. So even when I'm dead and gone, I want this, this vision to go on and people just speak it up and then just keep going with it. And so as we're leaving, we had a great meeting, me and Dr. Latrice, and how we're going to set everything up. And, and that's like opening doors and making things happen and giving us favor with TASA and, and uh, the uh, district attorney's office. And I'm on this freeway 35, and I'm praising God. And this Mercedes, he's on the phone, and we're in all this construction. And he cuts me off. And as he cuts me off, not, not a cone, but those big barrels, he hits a barrel, Jennifer. And the barrel, when he cuts me off, the barrel lodges and hits my car, mm. my Jeep. And when it hits my Jeep, it doesn't lie. It, it doesn't just bounce off my Jeep, Jennifer. It lie. I don't even know how it lies. It lies in my my uh, Jeep, uh, like in the side of my crevice of my hood mm-hmm. and my grill and under. I don't even know how this barrel did that. And it's, I'm riding on the freeway with a big barrel, orange and white barrel in my Jeep. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's under the Jeep. And so but there's nowhere to exit and no and I, it's so much construction. They got the surface like the sides of the street blocked. So you can't pull over on the side. You gotta stay on the freeway. So people are honking at me like you got a big barrel. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's under the car. Because oh. I smell it burning. And I'm like, so I put my flashes on but I don't feel the car slowing down. So I'm like, okay. What and I can't see it over the hood because I'm short. So I'm like, okay, where is it? Because I and I looked out the window, I said, Where is the barrel? So and but I smell it burning. And I'm like, well, I don't see this big old barrel. So I tried to finally pull over, but when I pull over, it's like I only had a little room on the service road and cars like zooming by. And people are still hunting at me like, you know, I guess they're trying to tell me I'm like, I know there's something on my car. So finally I find the exit. And I pull over at the market center and I jump on the curb because I'm assuming it must be under my car real good. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to get up there so I can stop under. So when I get up, I pull up on the curb, I'm looking at it and it's almost like it's like going sideways in my grill. I'm like, how did this happen? You know, I'm like, this thing could have killed me. Praise the like, Lord. Yes. And I was like, incredible. Huh? I was so frustrated. And I just yanked it out of my car and I threw it on the ground and the lady is down in that car. They looked at me like, what in the world? How did that happen? And it, and it, it ripped part of my uh, grill on my Jeep. And my husband said, when he saw my car, he said, what happened to your grill? He said, why did your car crack like that? And I told him, he said, how do these things always happen to you? And then he goes, never mind. And I'm like, always. All, and I said I was coming. But an angel kept it from your windshield. Always. always an angel. Always, always. Yes. Always. Kept it from the windshield. Always. Praise the Lord. Every, praise the Lord. And that's what I said every single time. And I said, I said this. And my husband, he said, it scares me sometimes. He said, because every time you doing something with this ministry or something for the Lord, he said, this, he says, like, you come under attack. Yeah. But God keeps me. He watches over me. And I'm thankful for that. Because yeah. I said, I'm not going to stop. And I'll nope. tell the devil, I'm not stopping. And when I do, I'm, and I'll get in the car, I say, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping. You know, shout so, louder. 
But I'm thankful yeah. that God chose me because I feel that I'm chosen for the work. I really do feel that I'm chosen because even to be Jennifer, I'm telling you, I, I didn't ask for a lot to be named after me. I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't ask for a platform. I didn't ask for I, I didn't ask for it. I didn't expect any of this. All I did was I did the work. I did what I felt God told me to do. I did what God told me to do. I picked up people along the way. I told my best friend. I told when I met Yolanda Washington, she's one of the girls that's still with me. I met her about 15, 16 years ago. And I told them, and this is what I said. I said, God told me this was going to be big. I, I got scared. I said, Lord, I'm not trying to be big. But he told me it's going to be a big thing that I'm doing. And he said he's going to put people in my life. Just keep going. And he said, because he, he, he showed me it was going to be a big thing. I said, God, I can't do no big thing. He mm-hmm. said, don't you worry about that. I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. he said, I'm going to put people in your life to help you make you work. And I said, okay. So I started, I just started working. I said, I don't know how to get people to start talking about sexual abuse, sexual assault. I didn't know how to start talking about it, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. So I just started. So I found this thing called Meetup. I started putting stuff in the newspaper. I was like, okay, let's start talking about this. Because normally what we used to see people, if they did something on the news, they'd only show their hand or they would uh, digitize their voice. Or they would grab their face, and I'm like, the Lord was like, no, you're Kept going to fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to stop that because I do not give you a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. Peace and a sound mind. That's what you're going to show people. And that's what I did. And so I'm like, this is what we have to do. We have to go out. I, I started a group called Sassy and Sester for Sexual Assault Support, Sexual Assault Survivor Support Initiative, S A S S I. And I, I rented out the, uh, the, uh, Louisville, uh, uh, we have a, uh, not a library, which is called a recreation center. And I paid for it. And I, and I, and people would come and people were amazed. They, I had people come from everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. that I had this group and they would come meet just to support, you know, and that's how I met Dr. Lenny Horner was still connected today. Uh, uh, and they would just come out and just, we would just talk, talk about our abuse or rape. People, people needed an outlet that was versus just going to counseling, you know, and I just wanted to give people a way to talk about it, to empower them. Mm-hmm. You need to be empowered. You need to release. I started my balloon release. That's what God gave me celebrate the release. We need to learn how to release this pain, release this trauma. You know, mm-hmm. it, I, as he gave me, I, I did it. I did it. I just went to speak. And then before you know it, after my book, Breathe Again, uh, then it's like he he orchestrated every step of the way, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. I wrote the book, Breathe Again. And then so I was like, Lord, okay. So with the book, I was like, you know, it would be beautiful if I can find out who it was that raped me. My husband said, pray about it. So I prayed about it. When I prayed about it, I was laying on my couch. I lied to you not. I got up to go get a newspaper. I, I told my husband, I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to mobile. It was mobile at the time. I said, I'm going to get a newspaper. And my husband said, okay, what are you getting this for? Because when I was a victim, I always read about death. So I, would get, I had the newspaper come to the house. I wanted to read the obituary section every day. I wanted to have people die. That was mm-hmm. my mindset, death. And he said, what are you getting this for? I said, I just want to read it. I just wanted to read the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I had stopped getting the newspaper. And so when I was going to the newspaper, I went to the metro section, and they had the 
uh, about the CCAP program, the Dallas, uh, Dallas Police Department started the CCAP program. So I read it, and when I read it, it uh, was talking about the whole cases about how they were starting with the Debbie Sent Act, they got the federal funding and solving the cold case kits and, you know, the cold cases. And you had the funding if you had a cold case, and it had to be between the 70s and the early 90s, a stranger on stranger. And I was like, he just happened to pick up that paper. Mm. Yes. And I said, this is God. And I went into the room and I said, Ricky, and I said, I said, this is not, I said, God is so real. I said, he can't be this real. He can't be this real. And he said, what is it? And I told, and I showed the paper. He said, well, did you pray about it? I said, that's sure it. He said, well, that's your answer. So I called the next day and uh, Sergeant Welsh, they called me back a couple of days later because at first they said, well, if you're 13, your mom has to call. I said, sir, that was over 30 years ago. And so he was like, oh, okay. So Sergeant Welsh called me back. And when he called me back, uh, he, uh, I was trying to remember a lot of the details. I couldn't remember a lot of the details at the time. It was so long ago. And then uh, finally, uh, we found, you know, we remember my, my, well, my maiden name. We remember the dates and stuff like that. And we found some information. He came out to the house and uh, we did the buckle swab and all that. And uh, and he began to tell me details about how the program works. And, and so he was like, so Lavinia, why are you doing this? And I said, basically, I'm on a mission. I said, he said, you're on a mission? I said, yeah, I'm on a mission from God. And I said, it's just like that. And he said, okay. And he said, well, what kind of mission are you on? I said, I'm on a mission to help other victims of sexual assault uh, heal. And I said, this is part of my healing. I said, this is my icing on the cake. And I said, I, I got to find out who it was to rape me. I said, this is my closing. I said, this is my closure. But this is how I'm in my book. And he said, okay. And he said, well, here's the thing. He said, uh, we may not find out who who your perpetrator who your perpetrator was because if he was not a felon, he would not be uh, he would not be encoded like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. I said, well. Did you feel like the Holy Spirit had told you? Like, did you feel something? Yes, I know. I know he did. And Mm -hmm. my husband was my husband was there with me uh, when Sergeant West came out. And my husband told Sergeant West to his face. My husband said, my husband said, you're going to find you're going to find her. And Sergeant West looked at him. He said, why are you so confident? He said, because my husband said, because he said, because she's on a mission from God. He said Mm -hmm. it just like that. He said it just like that. And so my Sergeant Wilson looked at my husband and he said, okay. He said, just like, like okay. And so, um, because he said, he, Sergeant Wilson was like, okay, this is like finding a needle in a haystack, you know. And then because he also told us that we missed two statutes of limitations, which meant that even if we did find out who my perpetrator was, I couldn't prosecute. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's, that's not my purpose for this mm-hmm. right now. God is doing something else with this. So that's not my purpose with this. And so when he came back and he told me, uh, as a matter of fact, I was the first one that he found. Uh, my case was the first one they resolved out of this out of this whole thing. And so uh, he he was I think he was so impressed at how I responded with everything that they wanted to. He wanted me to be like a voice for them to get other victims to come forward and have a kids reopen because the department at the time did not just want to waste the funding and mm. uh, just open up the kit. It and probably so, encouraged that police officer. Yes, and yes, it encouraged, 
you because you had already been prepared. He was already equipping you. Yes, he was already equipping me. And so, and then I found out, uh, and then when my case was solved, that's when I found out that my kit had been sitting on the shelf uh, for 21 years and that my kit was suspended for three um, I was raped July 31st, and my kit was suspended August 2nd, which means they didn't do anything with my kit, mm-hmm. basically, after I was raped. So you pretty much put my kit on the shelf a couple of days after I was raped. And that was the driving force that I was like, Mm-mm, no, this is my assignment. This I have to do something about this. And so I immediately started uh, writing letters and going to, like, Michael Burgess. I wrote a letter to the governor. I wrote... A letter. I went to um, Chris Harris' office, uh, Bert Solomon's office, and I just went on my own. I was like, "Hey, you guys know that there are kids on these?" Sh-? And it wasn't for me because I knew there was nothing I could do for me. But I learned that there were other women. There were thousands of other women's kids. I think like four thousand, and you're four thousand times. Because you know, there's other women kids on the shelves here in the other area, and they probably don't even know nothing mm-hmm. is being done about it. That's all the time we have for today. Come back next week and we will finish up this series with Lavinia Masters. Remember to seek hope and share it with others. Something inside of you, someone else needs to hear. Thank you for joining. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Accidental Hope Podcast on the Blooming Inspired Podcast Network. This show airs on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. To learn more about this podcast, its network, or the ministry of Blooming Inspired Network, please visit bloominginspirednetwork.com and click the podcast link at the top of the page.